0: That was a quick 30. Appreciate you still sticking around. That's good. This would be awkward if I'm just up here talking to myself. Um, but I'm really, really glad that you're here. If we've never met before, my name's John. I get to serve as a pastor. And uh, one of the most fun things I do every weekend is get to bring God's word and and share just out of what God is doing in my life, but also in the life of our church. As some of you know, I have a one-year-old daughter named Lennon, and and as she entered the world last May. Uh, immediately knew. I mean, everything was about to change, which is not a shocker. You got kids, you kind of already know that. You're like, yeah, duh. I had kind of could have told you that. Uh, but a lot changed, and one of the things that changed was how much I cared about my yard. <laughs> has ever has anyone ever encountered this? Like, you have kind of these exterior things you start to care about, or like the cleanliness of your car. There's all these things you start to that are exterior things you start to care about. Well, I we notoriously, as you look at kind of the houses on our street, we have some of the worst grass. It looks like a dirt bike track most of the time. Moles love our yard. It's just crazy. It's amazing how much they love being at our house. But it is a struggle. And so I remember driving home one day, and I start to go through this physical checklist. I'm like, okay, I got to power wash this. I got to see this part. I got to rip that out. I got to burn this thing. I've got to do all these different things for the yard. And this year I'm going to tackle it. And Lenny was about six months at the time. So I I start, start the drive home. Like, okay, I'm going to get home. I'm going to just knock this stuff out, pull into the driveway, walk inside the kitchen. And this little six month old thing, kind of like waddles slash crawls over to me. I was like, I can do it tomorrow. (laughs) Like I'll worry about it tomorrow. Like I care way more about hanging out with her than I do how my yard looks. But it's really, really interesting. You can go down our street and find people, just like in your neighborhood, where their yards are are really, really good shape, their house looks beautiful from, from the outside, but their families and marriages are maybe falling apart. Like, they're not really caring for the more important thing, which is their family, and I don't do that well all the time, and I'm just a bad landscaper in general. So I tend to care way more about hanging out with my, with my one-year-old daughter, Lennon, than I do how my yard looks at the, any given time. Um, but we started working on it this summer, and so hopefully it'll get better. Someone wiser and older told me that if you care about your kids well, eventually your yard will look better because they grow up to do the yard work for you. I'm just saying. I'm kind of ready for that stage. I can't wait for Lennon to hop on the mower herself, you know, like that's going to be a good day for me, Um, but I'm way, way far away from that reality right now. But let's talk about, for a minute, our soul, the most important part of you. Scripture addresses kind of the innermost being is the phrase used often in the Psalms as kind of this inner place, this inner life, this interior us that deeply matters to God. And we refer to this now as the soul, there's actually a way that you and I can take care of that most important part of us. There's a way. There, there's there's forms and there's methods that you and I in our ordinary lives not we don't have to become a super Christian to do it can actually care for the most important part of us. Not just the exterior, which does matter to God, but also the interior of who we are. All of May we talked about our mind, and and this summer we're gonna do some soul work together. There's actually practices and habits we can adopt that will help us to live and actually have a healthy soul. So I want one of the first things we're going to do together is jump right into God's word. So if you have a device or a physical Bible, let's go to Psalm 119 together. This is one of the longest single chapters in scripture, and we're going to start at the very beginning in verse 9. Psalm 119:9. And it starts out with a really interesting question. Here's what David writes at the very beginning of this part of the passage. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Now, I want to break that down for a moment before we read the rest of those verses. How can a young person, here David's not just talking about someone physically young in age. Not just talking about like how does a teenager stay on the path of purity. He's talking about how does a person stay alive? How does a person stay vital? How does a, how does a person, even if they're older in years, stay, stay flourishing in life? And how do they stay on the path of purity? Which is not, we we read the word purity, maybe you think integrity or sexual purity or whatever, but this is much bigger than that. It's really talking about life wholeness. It's talking about integrity. It's talking about being a real, fully alive person in Jesus. It's about having a healthy soul. And so he's asking the question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? And here's the answer, by living according to your word. He gives the formula away right at the beginning, which I love. I'm a simple-minded person, and I love that he's just like, question, here's the answer, by living according to your word. And today, we're going to read the next couple verses, but today we're talking about the discipline or the practice of meditation. Meditation. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus who grows in meditation? I know that weirds you out. I'm going to let that hang for a second. And then we're going to read verse 10. He keeps going and says, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Here's the key, I've hidden your word. He's talking about meditation. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, listening to God's word, but also obeying what it says. Praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in, and great riches. Think about someone who gets like, they, they scratch off the jackpot, they actually win. How excited would you be if that was you, right? But he's equating living in God's way, meditating on God's word to that excitement. He's saying, have that level of excitement about following God's word. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. And here's the key, I will not neglect ignore, kick to the side your word. What you've said, God, I will not neglect it. It's funny because you read this and it's like, wow, what super elite spiritual leader wrote that? Like who wrote Psalm 119? Well, most scholars are kind of divided on, but, but the bulk of scholars read, read this as being some, something from David, something from King David. What makes that really interesting is, is that David writes us as a leader who encountered incredible highs and incredible lows. I and mean, we've talked about this even over the last year, just David's journey of, of growing up as a young shepherd boy and having this unique moment of courage in which he kills the Philistine warrior Goliath. This is an incredible high for him. Well, then he gets into leadership. He begins leading a nation. He's leading an organization that's bigger than any of the organizations we've ever led. That you will probably ever lead. And he's feeling the pressures of that. He's feeling military pressure, financial pressure. He's feeling just the weight of the fact that he's supposed to be the one leading God's chosen nation. What does he do with that pressure? He has an affair and then kills the the woman's husband. Not a great use of leadership power, right? Not a great use of having this important role. Well, then later he repents, he confesses his sin, he's honest before God, it's incredibly admirable, but then later in his story, we find that David is is struggling, his family unit is literally crumbling, his kids are hating him, and they become severed, one of them dies, like there's all this turmoil that occurs, and so David writes Psalm 119 not as a person who has it all together, I want you to hear this. But as someone who truly understood what it meant to meditate on God's word day and night, good season and bad season, this is what it means to be a person of meditation. Now, most religions, and you could scan the internet and find this, teach that the key to a healthy spiritual life is actually the opposite of Christian meditation. It's emptying your mind and detaching yourself from all negative emotions, any negative thought you have, just empty your mind of this. This is uh, even yoga. You, you find this where you're just emptying yourself. Get rid of all the toxic thoughts and, and delete toxic people from your life. It's like scrolling through Instagram. You can find like a hundred different posts of pop psychology like this, right? It's just like, just get rid of all that stuff. Like, don't ever think about anything bad. Like Just be the best version of you. Dump the bad stuff. But Christian meditation is, is the opposite. Christian meditation, the goal is not to empty yourself to the point of just being a void or or having kind of this vacuum in your mind. Christian meditation is the intentional filling of your mind with God's truth and grace. It's being overflowing. It's not trying to empty your cup. It's actually trying to fill your cup with better stuff, with better things, with better content, with allowing your life to be transformed by the truth, of God and the formula David gives here in Psalm 119 is really really simple it's listening plus obeying which leads us to meditation listening to God's word which leads to the obedience of God's word that's what we're talking about when we talk about meditation this is literally what Paul or sorry what David writes in in, in verse 11 I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you I have hidden your word in my heart, I've meditated, I've listened to what you said so that I can live the way you want me to live. Maybe you feel powerless to live a holy life. Maybe today you feel like, I can't ever feel like I'm really obeying what God wants me to do. Maybe I don't even know. The question would be, are you listening to what God has said? Are you listening to his word? Are you in it? Are you meditating on the truth of scripture? One of my favorite kind of Christian authors, heroes, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said this. When asked why he meditated, Dietrich Bonhoeffer replied, because I am a Christian. Like, this is what it means. He had a daily practice, it's very notable, of meditation, of taking scripture and stewing on it, letting it fill his mind, letting it kind of rumble around in his brain until he truly believed it. When I first heard the word meditation, I literally thought, of a person like doing this insane pose on a beach. Like that's kind of what I think about. First, when I hear the word meditation, I've got to like get out of that. I don't even know how that's physically possible for number one. Like if I did that on Grand Haven Pier, you should all come save me. That's a bad look for me. Uh, but this is kind of often what's. it's like, get in this weird pose, empty yourself mentally, uh, do some deeper chanting or whatever you need to do, like to get in the headspace of meditation Uh, And that's not what what David is writing about in Psalm 119. He's saying, no, it's not just getting in a weird kind of yoga pose. It's actually intentionally filling your mind with God's truth. It's knowing what he says and embracing it in your own life. And and eventually it will lead to obedience. Uh, Somebody asked me recently, like, hey, it's kind of annoying that you don't put all the sermon text on the screen when you preach. Why do you do that? And I figured this is a great time to say why I don't do that. You know, like... I just feel like now I have the microphone, you're all sitting here nice and attentive. Why don't I just answer? So actually, it's a very intentional decision to do that. Let me tell you why. Because what happens is is typically you get in church environments just like this and preaching or sermons can become, I'm not saying they are for you, but they can become another spiritual product we're consuming. It's like hearing a Christian song on the radio. It's like, wow, that's a good song. And you kind of consume it. It's something you enjoy and take in. But you didn't write the song. You don't care about the author. You're not caring if they're getting paid or not. You just have zero ownership in the song itself. You're just consuming it as a product. And we have a tendency, I'm not saying internationally, I'm saying specifically in America, to take scripture in in small bite-sized chunks or when we see it on a screen and just to consume it as a product. But here's what I believe. If you follow Jesus, if you are a person full of the Holy Spirit, you have as much resources and insight into the text as I do. Like, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters. I'm not Catholic. I do not think you have to come to Center Church on a Sunday morning to hear what God's Word actually says. I believe if you open it up, you meditate on it long enough, He will speak to you through it. And I don't say that just because that's what I think. I say it because so many of you, that's your actual experience. Like it's, it's a real thing. It's really possible to do it. And so when we talk about meditation, when he put the whole sermon text, we may be prone to never engage it, to never open up the app or never thumb through the pages of a physical Bible. Meditation makes us slow down to listen and to obey scripture and not just to consume it like another product. I love this kind of inspiration for the series is, is a small kind of old school book called Celebration of Discipline in that one of the chapters on this literally Richard Foster the author writes that God spoke to biblical heroes not because they had special abilities but because they were willing to listen. This is the key. I don't care how old you are how young you are like, this is like, we're not talking to spiritually elite people here. This is for you, and this is for me. This is just ordinary, regular people. Like, all throughout the scripture, almost every character you find, every biblical hero you would look to Abraham, Moses, David, all these people, Ruth, they had a rhythm of meditating on God's word. They knew what it said. They were willing to listen to God's voice. They were not like, superhuman they just were willing to listen and slow down and this is the invitation of meditation now there's two kind of hebrew words for meditation but they're used like 58 almost 60 times and they mean a bunch of different things like there's a really broad category for this it could mean listening to god's word reflecting on what he's done rehearsing replaying what he's done in your life ruminating on god's law knowing what his his word says But Foster points out that in each case, there is stress upon changed behavior as a result of our meditation. Like you cannot be in God's presence, slowed down with the truth of scripture and not walk away a different human being. It's just almost impossible because there's living, breathing truth in the things that we are reading and studying. Honestly, I think about it this way. Like when we meditate, we're really living into the core of what it means to be a Christian. Because being a Christian is not first and foremost doing things a Christian does. Being a Christian is first and foremost being the kind of person Christ is. It's, it's letting his image bleed out into everything you're doing. It's always being before doing. It's never doing before being. And I think that's what meditation, it speaks directly. It cuts right to the heart of this. Honestly, it's like, man, June 5th, all the stuff in our world, why are we talking about meditation? It feels like you should talk about more important things like gun reform or racial reconciliation, or like, why are you not talking about that kind of stuff? <clears throat> and here's what I think about. Honestly, Lindsay and I, these last couple couple nights, we've just been gathered when we've had some family over, we've just been talking with them about like, man, it feels like every single time I open up my phone, there's another shooting or another violent kind <clears> of <throat> outbreak in our communities. And It's very, very difficult to read. And I think about the fact that meditation, what we're going to talk about really this whole summer, these spiritual practices, it's actually the most desperate thing our world needs. Because you and I could sit around and create better laws, which we probably need, create better reform, which maybe we need, create better security in schools or these other places, all those things, good things. We need them. We should be having those conversations. Those are important. But if we never become the kind of people who are actually embodying Christ in this world, that will fall short of the true solutions that we need. If we don't become people of prayer, people of God's word, people of truth, people of peace, people of solitude, people of confession, fasting, all these things we're going to talk about, we will miss out. We will have such shallow cups to offer the world. It won't be worth giving. But if you and I embrace some of these things we're going to talk about, specifically we start with meditation, we will have the kind of deep life with God to sustain the work that he wants us to do in the world. And that should include peacemaking and reform and all these kind of things that we should be talking about. It's actually the core of the Christian life. It's what our world needs, and it's also what we need. It's like a personal need we have. Like you and I were designed for daily communion and relationship with our creator. And meditation is one of these most simple ways we can get there, listening plus obeying. Here's what I know, like it's grad grad season, like people are getting new jobs, people are stepping out, maybe getting ready to go to college in in a few months. Like it's an exciting time, but what can come to the surface in our community is, is something that can be really dark, Like, I think we are a community obsessed with accomplishments. We are obsessed. Like, I hear, these are all things I hear on a regular basis. Finally, my kids scored the game-winning goal, and they're like three years old. (laughs) Like, okay, good. Like, they kicked it to the net. Good job. Like, awesome. But but there's a sense of accomplishment and achievement that just bleeds out in our conversation sometimes as parents. Or finally, I got a 4.0 GPA. Finally, I got there. Like I arrived, I made it. I had that exact conversation after church a couple weeks ago. I was like, finally, I got a perfect score on my task. Finally got a 4.0. Or maybe you said this, I'm sick of renovating things. I'm sick of living where I don't want to live. I've got enough money and resources. Finally, I can build my dream home. Maybe it's out in the country or it's on the, on the lake or whatever. It's like, finally, I can do that. And those are not bad things, They're all accomplishments so that we can tend to buy into and put stock in that are actually inferior to something like meditation. Let me tell you why. Meditation allows us to accomplish the most important thing you can ever accomplish in this life, and it's relationship with Jesus. Meditation actually connects the dots. I dream about a church. I dream about my own family and my own life saying, Finally, I have learned how to meditate on God's truth every single day. Finally, I've accomplished the most important thing, which is a daily rhythm with God. You now, I think God speaks a lot of places. I think He He will speak to you on the car drop-off, uh, school drop-off line. He will He will speak to you in a church service. He can speak to you in a. In a conversation with your kid or in a journal entry. But for me, God speaks to me really, really clearly every single time I walk into the Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) It's just immediate Holy Spirit power. I don't know how to describe it. I'm just like, boom. I don't know if it's a cheesecake when you walk in or what it is. But every time. And and so it was a couple months ago. I was like, man, it'd be really fun. So Lindsay got a new job kind of close to the, the Grand Rapids location of Cheesecake Factory. And I was like, it would be really perfect if we could meet up for lunch there. Maybe like do an early dinner thing there. So she's like, okay, we can do that. Those times are quite rare with a one year old. So we're like, okay, let's make it happen. So we go there and we sit down. We get the bread. That's gone quick. We get our meal. That's gone quick. We get this beautiful thing called the cheesecake menu going on. We're flipping through that, just listening to God's voice. You know, where is He directing us today? Ended on the s'mores cheesecake, which he really spoke to me clearly through that. It was amazing. But we finished the meal, and we both get up. I went back to work. She went back to work. And I just drove away feeling like our marriage had had just grown in that moment. It was like this step forward. It was like, man, that was amazing. Like, I I just feel so good about that. And, And contrary to what you may believe, it actually had nothing to do with the food. I was trying to think about, like, what made that such a good lunch, And what made that a good lunch is that I really took the time with my phone to the side, with no meetings, no commitments ahead of me, to listen to my wife, to truly listen, to ask her questions and be interested in the response, to talk about our family, how things were going, talk about how we feel about our marriage, what things we need to grow in. Talk about our money, talk about how we're spending our time, talk about church, talk about all the the spheres of life that we run in together. And what really hit me is, is if you could fault me for, I mean, there's a lot of things you could fault me for doing bad as a husband, but one of them would be in daily life, truly listening. Like I tend to be preoccupied or respond things when I'm like watching something or on my phone or trying to do things and missing details or missing stuff or like, she'll tell me about something and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot it was supposed to be there. Like those kind of things, they happen to me. Like in the eight years of marriage, I've not perfected that or figured it totally out. But in that moment, I think by God's grace, not because I'm an awesome person, but I was able to slow down and truly listen. Now, some of you, you're smart and you already get where I'm going with this this is the relationship God wants to have with you. Undistracted, slowed down, face-to-face communication. And meditation gives us the space. It forces us not to just read the scripture as quick as we can and check it off the list, but to slow down and to listen to what God is saying so that we can obey what he is saying. That is the heart of meditation. That's the heart really of all these spiritual disciplines we're going to talk about, the disciplines, the practices, even meditation, that's not the end goal. The goal is freedom. The goal is freedom in Christ. The goal is, is unhindered relationship with the God who loves you and is pursuing you. So don't ever over the next couple of months hear like, oh, shoot, I've got to add these 12 habits into my life or else I'm a bad person. Actually, by adding them, you become the person God has wired you to be the free person he's wired you to become. Now here's, we're going to go really, really practical here, rapid fire for just a second, because you may be sitting there and say, hey, guess what, John? I don't know how to meditate, okay? When you say meditation, I think of the, the yoga instructor on the beach. Like that's what comes to my mind. I'm not really sure what you're talking about. I actually disagree with you. I think you're wrong. Have you ever read a text from a loved one that was really encouraging or really meaningful? Have you ever read it multiple times over and over again? Then you've meditated. Have you ever replayed an awesome memory with your kids? You lay in bed, they're in bed, you're you're getting ready to go to sleep for the night, and you think about, I cannot believe she said that to me. I can't believe they did that. You have meditated. Have you ever thought about just a perfectly timed word of encouragement or inspiration from a a dad or from a boss or from a really close friend? You just replay the line over and over, that conversation just goes back and forth in your brain, then you've meditated. Have you ever left church like I often do and there's like one or two lines from a song And you just you sing them over and over and over again. This is the biggest fight Lindsay and I have. She's like, "Will you shut up and learn the rest of the song?" And I'm like, "I don't, I don't really remember the rest of the song. I just remember the chorus. I'll sing it over." Like if you've done that, you've meditated. This is what it means. It means to take God's word and to meditate, to slow down, to listen to what He's actually saying, and to learn how to obey this. So three really quick things. These are easy. Everybody can do them. Uh, a few of you might actually do them, but everyone can do them. The first is pick a line. And I want to encourage you, specifically take what we just read, Psalm 119. Take the first 16 verses <coughs> excuse me, and pick a line. Because what will happen, God may already have jumped something off the page in what we read. Maybe there's something else he wants to show you. And then secondly, it's practice meditating on that line for five days. Just for the next work week. So I'm going to take this line, I'm going to meditate on it. Maybe it's one of the ones we read, maybe it's not. I'm just going to sit on it. I'm going to let it kind of stew in my mind. I'm going to fill my mind with God's truth. Now, the third thing, and this is critical, you can do the first two but miss this, is keep your eyes open. Because God is always speaking. We don't have, he doesn't have a mouth problem. We have an ear problem. He's always speaking to us. Because he loves us. He's pursuing us. So keep your eyes open. Pick a line, practice, keep your eyes open. Can I pray for you? Holy Spirit, we invite you today, right now in this moment, to guide our hearts and minds into truth and some of us today need to hear the truth about who you say we are. We need to hear the truth about the kind of God you are. We need to hear your loving invitation to meditate on your word day and night. Some of us need to hear the invitation to. Stop doing certain things or to start doing certain things. Let's so always surrender this to you. We ask for your will to be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stay in church?